The first reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. You can find this on page 691 of your church Bibles. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live, among a pe- uh, I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. The second reading is taken from Revelation, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. This can be found on page 1236 of the Church Bible. That's Revelation, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal, In the centre, round the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, 
and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives for ever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives for ever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks to Alex and to Mary for bringing us our reading this morning. As we come now to God's word, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that your written word of scripture may now and always be our rule, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And we're coming this morning to the end of our current series from the book of Revelation. And if you've been with us along the way, you'll know that it's been quite a journey. And within the structure of the book, chapter 4, that we've just had read to us and we will be thinking about this morning, along with chapter 5, are an introduction to all that is about to happen all that's going to follow on. So this in many ways is a good place to pause and to take stock of where we've got to. And as we have seen, John wrote the Revelation when he was in exile on the island of Patmos, when Christians were experiencing a time of persecution at the hand of the Romans. So John, by the power of the Spirit, was inspired to write to encourage the faithful to stay true to the Gospel in the face of opposition from many different quarters. And as he reflects on the nature of this opposition, he sees it in the context of the final showdown between God and Satan which is to be the theme of the rest of the book of Revelation from chapter 6 onwards. And in the beginning, John is taken over by a glorious vision of the Lord, who tells him to write what he has seen to the seven churches that we've been thinking about. And just a reminder, These churches, which were located about 50 miles apart, formed a circle in Asia, moving clockwise north from Ephesus 
and coming round full circle to Laodicea. And it's just possible that they might have been postal centres serving seven geographic regions. And it was to these seven churches that the entire book of Revelation, including the seven letters, was sent. Which meant, of course, that each church was able to read what was said of the other six. And I wonder how we would have feel if similar letters were sent to the churches in Bath. And as each church was sent all seven letters, they were clearly intended to take note of the whole and not just the specific issues addressed to them. And to note that in each one there was a similar structure. And that was the four C's. Commendation, complaint, correction, which carried with it a promise, and a command that they should listen to what God has to say. And as we've considered each church, we've considered the struggles they experienced through false teaching, which was different forms of Gnosticism, the temptation to compromise with the world's agenda, and actual physical persecution. But as I was preparing this, I was struck that the letters begin with a church, <coughs> excuse me, Ephesus, that had forsaken its first love and ended in Laodicea with a church that was so lukewarm, it too had abandoned its first love and abandoned it in exchange for a self-satisfied lifestyle that so disgusted the Lord that he felt a desire to spew them out of his mouth. And by first here, I don't necessarily mean it in a chronological sense, as that can be quite fickle and pass quickly. What I believe it means is the best, a love you pour your heart and soul into, that deepens and ripens with time and that has first place in your life and becomes a lifetime commitment. And I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't just the church members in Laodicea who were brought up short by these words. And they are just as much a challenge to us here and now today. And it is to these churches that the Lord stands at the door and knocks. And it is at this point that we see in chapter 4 another door open and the story really begin. For this is where John is given the revelation that gives the book its title. Everything from this point onwards is part of the vision which is granted to us and he stands in the heavenly throne room and it begins with a door standing open in heaven. And like Moses on Mount Sinai, 
John is invited into God's presence to receive his divine instruction. And what I imagine do you think when you hear these words? A door opening in heaven. The theologian Tom Wright says this, For many years I imagined that John looked up to the sky and saw far away, tiny but bright like a distant star, an open door through which he was then invited to enter into the heavenly world. I now think of it quite differently. It is more like a door opening right in front of us, where before we could only see this room, this field, this street, or this morning, this church. For suddenly, there is an opening leading into a different world, perhaps a bit like Narnia through the door of the wardrobe, and an invitation to come up and see what's going on. And John is taken right into God's throne room in heaven so that he can see behind the scenes and understand both what is going to take place and how it all fits together and makes sense. What an awesome privilege and how utterly life-changing that must have been. It would have been possible for life ever to be the same again. And in this, John is echoing the experience of Isaiah that we heard about in our first reading. It was in this encounter with the Lord that Isaiah's understanding of both God and his own calling takes shape. And the temple referred to here, where Isaiah receives his call, is the heavenly temple of Revelation 4, and with which the earthly temple in Jerusalem was closely associated. For the people of Israel at this time had grown complacent. Increased wealth had brought with it a diminished view of God, so that people felt secure in their sins as long as they performed the appropriate rituals. And like the church in Laodicea, they had become lukewarm. But in his vision, Isaiah sees the Lord as he truly is, high and exalted, beyond manipulation, seated on his judgment throne. Heaven and earth merge in this blinding vision of the one who is above all holy. And the seraphs, by their words and actions, show that the appropriate response is reverence, service and praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And like Isaiah, John is summoned into the throne room so that he can hear what is going on and report back. And as in some other ancient versions, so here John sees God's counsel, 24 elders sitting on ancient thrones. They represent almost certainly 
the combination of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of Jesus. They are, as it were, the embodied perfection of the people of God, sharing now in the rule of God over the whole world. Their right robes indicate purity and victory. Their crowns reveal them as the representatives of the royal priesthood, referred back in verse chapter 1, verse 6. And to put it mildly, that is not a quiet scene. Lightning, thunder and fire are sparkling and booming. For when God's purposes are being disclosed, we are to expect things to be shaken up pretty alarmingly. And this picture of a throne room, with someone sitting on a throne surrounded by senior counsellors, would instantly remind John's readers of a very different court, that of Caesar. For by implication, we are invited to see that the powers of this world are cheap imitations of the one power who really rules in heaven and on earth. And as John's great vision unfolds in the rest of the book of Revelation, we see how the human kingdoms have acquired their wicked power and how God's radically different power will be victorious. And this is the victory in which the seven letters were urging the churches to claim their share. And it comes about by the unveiling of reality. For behind the complex and messy church life in ancient Turkey, behind the challenges of the false synagogues and the threatening rulers, behind the struggles and difficulties of ordinary Christians, people just like you and me, there stands a throne room in heaven in which the world's creator and Lord remains sovereign. It is John's intention that we should lift our eyes and see, and through this vision, to grasp the reality that makes sense of everything. For here we see that all creation worships God, we humans are called to worship him with mind as well as heart, recognising that he is worthy of all praise as the creator of all things. For John sees the Lord in all his bejeweled splendour, seated on his heavenly throne, surrounded by an emerald rainbow. This reminds us of God's covenant with Noah, never again to destroy the inhabitants of the earth. John emphasises this by using the Greek word for rainbow, iris, and not the word for a warrior's bow found in Genesis 9. And God is seated on a throne, set against the backdrop, not of his power, or his wrath and judgment, but his mercy. And central to all the activity of heaven is worship. 
And in this passage there are two songs of praise. The first in verse 8 is this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And this song is sung round the clock, day and night, by the four living creatures. They praise God as the Holy One. They praise him as the Everlasting One. And these four creatures resemble the seraphim in Isaiah's vision. And they are like the four creatures of Ezekiel's vision in chapter 1 of Ezekiel. And in Jewish thought, they represented the greatest of God's creatures, the lion, lord of wild beasts, the ox, strongest of domestic animals, the eagle, most powerful bird, and the human being, made in the image of God. And in some early traditions, these represent the four gospel writers, Matthew, the human face, Mark, the lion, Luke, the ox, and John, the eagle, who surround and worship the Jesus of whom they speak. And these creatures are described by John as being full of eyes, ever seeing, ready to do God's bidding by keeping watch over his creation. And their song is an act of adoring praise, which is in contrast to the worship of the 24 elders. For creation as a whole simply worships God. The humans who represent God's people understand why they do so. You are worthy, our Lord and God, for you deserve to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. As created beings, worship is or should be the most central human activity. It is certainly the most central Christian activity. Worship is what we were made for. Worship based on who we are and who God is. If anybody here this morning happened to listen to the Radio 4 service at 10 past 8, you'll have heard Richard Charters, the Bishop of London, saying that the opposite of worship is selfishness, being turned in on ourselves. But he said, worship is liberating as it turns us away from ourselves towards God and others. And as the people of God, the elders join their voices with the song of creation, they offer their crowns as kingly subjects of their high king. And their worship consists of praise and self-offering because God has made us to find our true selves in relationships with him. When people are in love, they feel that they are most fully themselves 
and most fully alive when with the person they love. And this mirrors our relationship with God. For we are most authentically ourselves when we acknowledge our Creator and give him the praise which is his due. And at its best, worship will enable us to join in the praises of heaven and the whole of creation. These brief moments of exalted experience, when they happen, are windows into the reality that John reminds us is the actual truth. Worship is the business of heaven and earth and it is what we are called to be involved in. As created beings, it is our primary vocation to worship God with our minds as well as our hearts, recognising that he is worthy of all praise as the creator of all things. And because of that, to give him the absolute first place in our lives. And if we put ourselves in the place of the first readers of John's words, the members of the seven churches, what message would they be getting? And having digested the problems that each church was experiencing, and these were very real, their eyes and minds were lifted up to heaven as God reveals himself to them in all his glory, and as they will see later on his ultimate victory. And what was true of first century Turkey is just as true for the church today. The first century church suffered terrible persecution at the hands of the Romans. And in many places today, Christians are suffering dreadfully for their faith. The outrages perpetuated by the so-called Islamic State in Iraq and Syria, which have been well reported in the media, are but the tip of the iceberg, as organisations like the Barnabas Fund continue to highlight. Down the years, false teaching has taken many forms, with the aim of challenging the utter centrality of Christ. And apathy and compromise have been the death knell of many churches from Thyatira onwards. And this is, I believe, the biggest challenge facing the church in this country today. In her report on Christianity Today, Ruth Gledhill said this, in five decades, the number of people with no religion in Britain has grown from 3% of the population to nearly 50%. Among adults aged under 25, nearly two-thirds define themselves as nuns or people with no religious affiliation. And too often the remedy put forward, often by well-meaning and concerned people, is compromise with the world's agenda. But in spite of these depressing figures, I believe God is quietly, away from the public gaze, establishing and building his kingdom. 
and nothing will prevent his ultimate purposes being fulfilled. And that, in his essence, was John's message to the churches of his day. And it is still his message to us today. And the key to all that he was saying is worship. Worship which calls from us our very, very best. In fact, our first love, because he is worthy of all our praise. Because in the end, when everything is stripped away, it's all about Jesus. As Paul said in Colossians, which I'd like to read to you now, very familiar words. Colossians 15 onwards. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the body of the church, the head of the body of the church, sorry. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And it's that picture which I'd like us to hold in our minds. And it is this Jesus who is at the very heart of our worship. Or is he? What I'd like us to do now is just simply to take time to reflect what the Lord, by his Spirit, remember it says about the Lord is saying to each church, so what the Lord is saying to us this morning, we'll take a little break and we will then join in the song when the music fades, which will enable us to make our response. <laughs> 